Well, good morning. Welcome to Northwest. It's so awesome to see you guys here this morning. Go ahead and grab your Bibles or your journals that we've been using to Colossians chapter 1. I do have an announcement that I want to make sure that I um, say to you this morning. It was the right decision to go for two. It was the wrong play, but it was the right decision. I'm a Tar Heel fan, if you're uh, wondering. And uh, I was pretty excited about yesterday, and so I just thought that I would go ahead and make that announcement declaration there. Um, uh, really, on, in all seriousness, I, I want to just take a moment to speak to everybody, but specifically the men in the, in the congregation this morning. Um, many of you have been involved in our men's ministry uh, throughout the years of Northwest. And uh, a lot of that, what it looked like, was that we would gather together on Tuesday mornings at the Cary Park Clubhouse at around 6 in the morning, and we would have a large group time, a teaching time, and then we would break out into small groups. The Bible is very clear of the benefit of that when men gather around the Word of God uh, to learn from Him, to be encouraged, to be rebuked, to be challenged, that it is really, really important. The Bible in, in Proverbs 27 says that as iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And so what we're going to do this year in our men's ministry is we're going to do something a little bit different. And how we're going to organize this is we are going to organize things around small groups. Three or four guys getting together every week, whether it be some might gather in the morning, some might gather at lunchtime, some might gather at night. They're autonomous and they can obviously meet when is good for you. You've heard that we want to be a family of disciples making disciples. And our men's ministry desires to move into this direction so that we can really just connect with each other, be challenged by each other. And we believe that great things can happen when we're sitting in a small group of people just studying God's word. I think transformation takes place better in the circle than in the row. You understand what we're talking about? The circle, small groups of people sitting down together, opening up God's word. And so our men's ministry is going to, this year, instead of meeting as a large group on a Tuesday morning, we desire to have lots of groups meeting all throughout our city. Can you envision, can you just think about what would take place over all over the place, whether it be breakfast, lunch, dinner, or whatever the case is, whatever time it might be, of different groups of men gathering together in God's word and what can happen to our lives as we get changed by God's word. I personally am in a group on Wednesday at 6 a.m. and I'm telling you, it, I've been in small groups for a long time with, with different groups of guys, but there's just something special about what's going on in this group and I'm so excited to be able to meet every, every Wednesday at 6 a.m. to be able to just talk about what God is doing, get into the word, and watch the word do what the word does and it's change us. And so we, what we're going to do between now and October the 11th is there will be an email sent to all of the men coming this afternoon. You will get an email in your email box and then it will ask you to go online to, to fill out a survey so that we can have some information about you. So that we can organize these groups based off of time, geography, where you might work, what's best, where you might live. And so... What I'm asking to do is, once you get that email, just follow the prompts. You don't even need to pray about it, okay? Just do it, okay? Just do it. All I'm asking you to do right now is follow the prompts and put your yes on the table. And watch what God would do in your life through gathering together in a small group of men to be a disciple who is making disciples. 
And um, I'm so excited about this. Ladies, you have a role in this. I'm not leaving you out. So tomorrow, you will ask your man, did you sign up for, uh, did you fill out the information that's needed from the email? Notice I said ask, I did not say nag, okay? Ask them, Sue, did you fill out the information that we want? And so what we're going to do is we're going to take this information, we're going to pull it all together, and then we're going to organize these groups. And so we want to do this for the glory of God, for the fame of King Jesus' name. We want you to be involved in a small group like that. So pray that you would do that. Our purpose is to have life on life, to have men connecting with other men for encouragement in the Lord through the scriptures because that is where transformation takes place in those groups. So please pray about that and uh, look for that email and then we'll have the, uh, the next three Sundays where you'll be able to sign up for that. All sign-ups will be online. You can even look at our website for that, okay? Real important announcement that I really want to make sure that we said that today. So let me go ahead and pray for us as we jump into Colossians and we take a look at what it means to be a disciple who prays for disciples, okay? So let's go ahead and pray. God, thank you. Thank you so much for the opportunity that we have to gather in this place at this time. Lord, you have used this text to convict me and shape me, and you have used this, this text to rebuke me. So I thank you for it. I thank you for the way you inspired Paul to write the words that are there, the meaning behind the words. And I pray that today, that you would allow us to hear his prayer for disciples. And that we would pray like that for disciples. More than anything today, I pray that today we would truly be a disciple of you. And if there is anybody in here that is not a true follower of you, a disciple, then God, today I pray that you would convict them of sin and that you would save them right here and right now. We love you and we thank you for your word. We ask you to use your word to change us this morning. Help us to take one step closer to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Colossians chapter 1, we've been in this for two weeks. We're now in week three of our series titled The Supremacy of Christ. That is really the essence of the book of Colossians. Paul is writing to declare to the churches of Colossae that Jesus is supreme. There is no one like him. That he is completely and utterly enough in all aspects of life. We know that Paul is in house arrest. He is he is bound. He's not allowed to go out, but he is allowed to have people come in. We know that Timothy is with him, and he's allowed to come in and talk to him. We know that Epaphras, who was reared and raised in, in Colossae, that he went to Ephesus. He heard about Paul teaching these people about Jesus and salvation through Christ alone. He goes back to Colossae. He tells them about that. A church gets started, and then he hears some things in the city that's going on that possibly could corrupt the message of the gospel. So he puts on his best pair of sandals and he walks 1,300 miles. And he goes to talk to Paul and he wants to talk to him about what's going on. And when he comes to Paul, he tells him, you would not believe the group of people that God has sovereignly put me among. You've got to hear of these people. He starts talking about their faith and their love for other people. He starts talking about their hope of eternity. And he's bragging on the believers at the time. Tells them a lot of good things that is, is going on. So Paul hears all of this. He hears all of this. And in his letter, he says, hey, I, I've heard this about you. Remember, Paul has never seen them before. He's never been among them. 
The goal was that he would go see them, but that was up to the Lord. He never actually went to see them. So he is in prison in Jerusalem. Uh, he's in a Roman, excuse me, he's in a Roman imprisonment. And Paul is just overwhelmed with what he hears about these Christians here. And so I've titled the message today, Disciples Praying for Disciples. Paul had a picture of what he wanted those believers to look like because he had a picture of what he wanted his life to look like as well as a disciple. So the title of the message is Disciples Praying for Disciples. Let's go ahead and jump into Colossians 1 verse 9. Again, we'll just break this down slowly and at the end we'll summarize what we've learned. And then hopefully today we'll be able to apply what we've learned as well. And so verse 9, he comes out and he says, And so, from this day we heard, we have not ceased to pray to you. So here is the disciple looking at these disciples and he's telling them right now, Listen, every time we think of you, we pray for you. We've not ceased. We've not stopped praying for you. What we see in the life of a disciple, his prayer life, their prayer life, her prayer life, is one that is unceasing. It doesn't stop. It's consistent. That's what Paul demonstrates as he teaches us right now. A true disciple who is trying to make disciples teaches us how a disciple should pray. And the first thing we see right up from the beginning is they pray consistently. It's not that we stop. Sometimes we have an attitude where we look at praying or calling out to God for praying for a specific issue is the same thing. Paul makes a distinction in this first verse. I'll show it to you. What he comes to the second part of the verse is it says in the first part, he says, hey, from the first day, we have not ceased to pray for you. So that's a consistent aspect of his life. I am coming to you, I'm calling out to you, and I'm praying to you. But then he says, asking that you. So let's stop right there. The first part is, it's consistent. The second part is, he is not afraid to go to the God of all things to bring all things to God. That is, that is a demonstration of the life of a disciple. It's his ability, his, 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 his discipline, his conviction to bring petitions and asking God to do simply something. I have a quote for you. Usually we tend to think of praying to God and asking God to be the same thing. But they are, there are differences. When we use the word praying in the text, it's more of a general aspect that covers all aspects of prayer. But when he comes in here and it says, I've not ceased to pray to you, asking that you. We realize that a characteristic of his prayer is that he brings his petitions before God. I know that in God, only these things can be answered. It is to him that we go to him. The word, the word um, asking, when it's broken down, is defined as a more specific request of the will for a particular thing. He's specifically asking them to do something specific in their life. And I would hope that as we, as disciples of King Jesus, that that would be something that would be a demonstration in our life. That we're not praying just generic prayers, that we are specifically asking, God, I'm asking you to deliver them from this sin. And name that sin. I'm asking you to deliver them from this disease, this sickness, and specifically call on the name of God to do just that. Here's a quote for you. We live in a time when many have twisted prayer into demanding from God based on perverted ideas that he is obligated to us somehow 
and especially if we use the formula of the magical incantations. I want to make sure that what Paul is coming to do here in this text is he's unceasingly praying to them. And he is requesting, he is not demanding. And you've heard me say this before, because God is too holy to be our puppet. He is too holy. And a healthy dose of the fear of the Lord is a good thing in regards to our posture of recognizing his holiness. And that shapes the way that we pray and we request, but we do not demand. We don't say, God, if you don't do this, then I don't believe that who you are. That is a very dangerous, dangerous thing for us to be sitting here and demanding things of God. Rather than we pray to him and request and bring our request to do it. We can make no demands of God. He is the one that is omniscient, omnipotent. He is sovereign and we, we are not. Matthew 7, 11 says this. If you then, being evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more shall your Father who is in heaven give what is good to those who ask of him? And the, the prayer of a disciple is shaped by its consistency, but also by its belief in I can bring everything to God and give it to him and trust that he knows what is best for my good and his glory. And we lay it down, Adam. I, I don't know about you, but that's the kind of believer I want to be. It's someone who is coming to God consistently and asking God to do something unbelievable. Bringing our request to him. One of the things that I was was uh, my, my buddy Will Langdon and Jennifer, they're in our life group. He sent me something this week. And he sent me this article about what country has the fastest growing church in the world. So I did a survey of my house last night. And I surveyed them and asked them what the fastest growing church, what country has the fastest growing church in the world. Nobody came up with the answer of Iran. Nobody. And if you said Iran, you would be absolutely 100% correct. There's a new film. I'm going to read this to you. A new film tells the story of the fastest growing church in the world, an underground persecuted Christian movement in a country known for exporting radical Islamic terrorism. Iran. People in Iran, a Muslim-majority nation, are fleeing Islam in droves as believers bow their knee to King Jesus, according to this documentary, sheep among wolves they go on to say this about discipleship disciples forsake the world and cling to jesus till he comes converts don't the leader said disciples aren't engaged in a cultural war converts are disciples cherish obey and share the word of god converts don't disciples choose jesus over anything and everything else converts don't converts run when the fire comes and disciples don't and one pastor explains that everything that has happened, that has happened over there, that he cannot even put into words. He says this, he explains everything they do underground is built on prayer. A massive movement of God in a country that we all say, no, that'll never happen. I've been there. Don't you look at me too spiritual, you've been there too. We've all been there think, think, in, in, in situations. Like, well, that's too big for God. We're looking at right now is that he is consistently coming to the Lord, unceasingly coming to the Lord on behalf 
of these believers at Colossae, and he's saying, God, I want to ask you to do something. We're going to talk about what he's asking. We're going to look at what he prays for. But what took place in this country, what is taking place in this country of Iran is incredible. He goes on to say, we find people of peace through prayer. We even find locations through prayer, he says. Jesus has come to people in their dreams, or he's, he's come miraculously into their lives. When we hear this, we know that Jesus has gone ahead of us. Paul and Timothy demonstrate this type of belief as they approach the church of Colossae and they lift up these believers and they bring their request. God, I'm giving you this right now. This is what I'm asking you to do in their life. Please do it. And they consistently and unceasingly do that. So what do they pray for? Glad you asked because the rest of the text talks just about that. And so let's jump in to the next verse. It says, asking that you, here it is, may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. So here's what I want you to do. Here's, here's what it is. I want you to be filled with the knowledge of God, completely filled up, abound, be liberally supplied to have the soul permeated with a knowledge of who God is. I'm asking them to have a knowledge of who he is. Because if you recognize and you realize the problem that's going on in Colossae is they believe that knowledge was the end all of be all. There was an accumulation of knowledge. There was an accumulation of knowledge. And they kept saying, we have to study, we have to learn, we have to learn. We looked at the philosophers. And this area was very pagan influenced. And so here he comes in his prayer, understanding the context of the people that he is praying for. And he's saying, listen, I want them to be filled, not with a knowledge of the world, but with a knowledge of you. I want them to be hungry for this and hungry for the things of you. That it would be overflowing. The word, the word uh, knowledge, being filled with the word of knowledge, is to be translated full of knowledge or thorough knowledge about who God is. And let me tell you something. In the life of a believer, that is an ongoing process. It never ends. And that's why it's fun to, as we get bigger, we continually get smaller in these smaller groups. And we work out our salvation fear and trembling and we understand how we can grow and understand the deep riches of who God is and it's better to do that in a small group shameless again plug for getting in a smaller group he goes on and he says this um, the Colossians would be permeated with a full knowledge so why is it important why is this important to be filled with this knowledge why is it important for us to have this knowledge? He goes on to answer that. He said, the manner in which we live is determined by the knowledge that we have. But it's not just the knowledge that we have. It's spiritual wisdom and understanding. So let's go in and understand this. I want you to have this knowledge. I want you to have this knowledge. And if we're not careful, the knowledge will puff us up. I, I, when I was in seminary, I was so irritated by the Bible college kids that would come to seminary. Because we would go to, the, I would go into seminary as a business major from Gardner-Webb, sitting in there, and they would have all of these classes of systematic theology and church history, and I literally would sit there with eyes wide open, my pen in hand, soaking it all up. But I had like uh, Johnny Theology over here just raising his hand and asking every question, thinking that he was the professor. 
And, and so what I'm, what I'm saying, what, what, what Paul is, is praying for right here for the disciples is, yes, I simply want you to have a knowledge about God, but I want you to have spiritual wisdom and understanding so that you can be able to put the pieces together. And that your theology wouldn't be what I call Dalmatian theology, where it's just in pieces, spots. He said, I want you to be able to take this and put it together. Put the puzzle together through the power of the Spirit. And so he's a disciple, and he's saying, listen, I want you to have knowledge, but I want you to have a knowledge of God. Don't run to grab a, to, to grab a knowledge or be filled with the knowledge of the world. And then I want you to have spiritual wisdom and understanding how to put this thing together. The enemy of the knowledge of God's will is the accumulation of the knowledge that is espoused in the world. He said, I want all of you, all of you, to just be wrapped up and overwhelmed with this. So he prays for them to have wisdom and understanding. Wisdom is the ability to apply the knowledge, and understanding is the ability to discern what is right and wrong, what is true and false, and that is incredibly needed in today's culture. It's incredibly needed for us right here and right now. We talked about it last week. We have the the, the truth that Netflix, Netflix espouses and all of the, the social media stuff. And we have to be resting in the truth of God's word and in a, in a desire to know who he is. And then spiritual wisdom and understanding to put all that together. And Paul is over here and he's saying, this is what, I'm, this is what Timothy and I are praying that you would have. We've not ceased. We're giving this request to God and we're asking you to be filled with the knowledge of who he is. Let's be careful that you and I in our culture right now, we would say, we could all say this. We live in a very cerebral area, a very intellectual area, a very academic area. Raleigh Durham Chapel Hill has replaced Silicon Valley years ago with more PhDs per capita. So we are in this area with a lot of people who have a lot of knowledge. But what Paul is praying in this area is that, yes, we would accumulate this knowledge of God to be able to put this together. Because our culture, our culture is espousing one thing. And we need to be able to stand up and understand. And so God is praying that we'd be able to do that. Or they would be able to do that. And I believe we would be able to do that together. So Paul wants them to know and be able to put it together. Let's go to verse 10. What does he continue to pray for? Praise in verse 10, he says, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him. Godly Christian behavior is the desired of being filled with a knowledge of God. We must understand that walking in a manner worthy of the Lord does not mean that with the way we walk, we are accepted. It means because you are accepted, because you have been redeemed, because you have a relationship with him. Now I want you to walk this way. I think Aerosmith just came into everybody's mind right now. Um, and so here's what he, he is. He's very clearly saying that, listen, because you've been redeemed, because you've been filled with the knowledge of God, because you have this spiritual wisdom and understanding and putting it all together, then I want you, this is what I want your life to look like. I want you to walk in a way that honors the Lord. It is a response that he is talking about. Not that we get in, but that we already are in and that we are responding to what Christ has done in and through us. 
is walking in a way that is, that is worthy of what the Lord has done. A true, a true truth response. God, I, want, I mean, if I'm sitting here going, this is the way that I want to walk. This is the way that I would love for you to allow me to walk in this way that is worthy of what you've done. He goes on to say that, um, he goes on in, in verse, the next part of the verse talking about bearing fruit. But the way that we walk or the worthy way that we walk, we look at God when we declare this. We look at God and we say, listen, God, because you died this way, I'm going to walk this way now. Okay, what we're saying, what we're declaring, and what he, what our response is, church, is that because you died this way, then I, as a response to you, am going to walk this way. And what does that way look like? Bearing fruit in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. The prayer is this, that they would bear fruit in every good work. We, we don't judge people, we don't evaluate people, but the Bible teaches us that we know them by their fruit in their life. We saw this idea of bearing fruit last week um, when they have this faith and they have this hope and they have this grace. We see all of that that's coming out. We know that that is simply from God. Here's a quote for you. A good tree produces good fruit and a bad tree produces bad fruit. It is by this principle that Jesus said we could tell two true teachers from false teachers and, and really if we take a look at what this fruit looks like we go to the fruit of the spirit in galatians chapter 5 where i'm not going to sing the song for you i'll spare you of that but it's love joy peace patience kindness goodness faithfulness gentleness and self-control and, and we have this 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 mark of what it looks like to be someone who is walking in the spirit who is bearing fruit for every good work so every single thing that we are doing comes to the place where we desire to bear fruit to demonstrate that we know him, that we love him, that we follow him. And then again, he prays again that they would continue to grow, increasing in the knowledge of God, not remaining infants, but wants them to grow up in the knowledge of God. And he continues to pray what he prays for next. And let's look at verse 11. What does he pray for next? <clears throat> in verse 11, he says this, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance and patience with joy i i am overwhelmed by this verse right here being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might he basically is coming to him and saying god's power is the source um, of the way that you walk in the way that you live and it's i don't want you to forget that power in Acts chapter 1, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you. That's dynamite power. That's explosive power when we are used in the witnessing. Be able to understand these things, to hold on to these things. He's saying, my power is sufficient for you. And we need this because when he says this, he says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might for all endurance. Paul is making a declaration that you will be persecuted, you will go through tough things, you will suffer, because as Jesus did, so will you. Paul can Paul really has the authority to be able to say that. Why? Because he's in house arrest. So he understands that, hey, guess what? I'm praying for you as a disciple, I'm praying for you as a disciple, and I need you to understand something. Bad things will happen. And I want you to understand the power that you have 
to absorb, to walk through. That when you are walking in the valley of the shadow of death, you will declare because of the power of the Most High, I shall fear no evil for your rod and your staff, they comfort me. And it is in that valley where we grow the most. And Paul is saying, you need the power of the living God to be able to endure and walk in those valleys. Listen to me. I know what I'm talking about. That's what he's saying. And so it's beautiful to recognize that he knows exactly how to pray for them because of the city that they are in. The church that they, they are sitting, the city that they're in, their, the city that their church is in. He understands all the things that are going on in that city and wants to make sure that they are relying on the power of the Most High to give them strength and to hold them up. He says, being strengthened with all power, listen to this, according to his glorious might. That power that we have is not based on us or us white knuckling ourselves through these situations or holding on through the chemo treatments or the surgeries or the diagnosis or the relational conflict. It is holding on to his power that he gives to us that we can have to endure and endure with joy, as it says. So when he says, for all endurance, he's recognizing that there will be tough situations. But when he says endurance and patience, patience is a recognition that there will be difficult people to, that come in your life that you will need to demonstrate patience with. And all of the church said, amen. And then he says, when you have this power to be able to do that, you're able to walk through those enduring situations. You're able to have patience with those people that maybe you don't agree with. And you're able to do that. What is the word right there? With what? With joy. Listen to me. Which is a fruit of the Spirit. So he's demonstrating to us right now, I want you to have the Spirit of the living God recognizing who he is and what he can do in your life to give you power to overcome in all situations, whether it be a person or whether it be a situation. And I want you to do so with joy. Not happiness, because we know that happiness changes as the situation changes. But joy is joy regardless of what's happening or going on. And that is something that the Spirit manifests itself. And he's like, I want you to depend on that according to his glorious glorious might the empowerment of god to do this also allows us to count such tribulations and trials with joy because that's what james says count it pure joy my brothers when you encounter and he goes on and on james chapter one starting in verse three the next uh the next several verses right now 12 through the end of the chapter um i wanted to just let you know that this these these verses have have wrecked and shaped my life. Many of you in here have verses that really have spoken to you and been a minister to you for a long, long time. Like, oh, this is my favorite verse, Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, or John 3, 16, or, uh, you know, Philippians 1, 6. Um, I am sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will see it through to the day of completion. You, you uh, have your verses, and 12 through 14 came to me at a time in my life where I recognized more than anything in my life, that I was a glory thief. 
Let me explain to you what that means. A glory thief is, I certainly want with my mouth the glory of God to be demonstrated, the glory of God to go forth, but there is part of my heart that I was wanting to rob what was his. And honestly, that enslaved me and has, been, has, has bound me for a long, long time. And it was, um, at times it rears its ugly head. But I recognized that it is these texts right here that gave such freedom, the ones we're getting ready to read. And it's beautiful to be able to have a disciple who is praying for disciples to have this. Because I feel like that this right here is, is, is part of my story. In 2008, I decided to plant a church. And the number one thing that you go in those circles and you hear is, well, how big? How many people are coming? And, and what's going on? You know, do you have a building? Do you have this? Do you have that? Do you have that? And you automatically started, started um, evaluating your success based on your, your, the, the, the church and how many people were coming and all of this kind of stuff. And I just got into a spin, a downward spin. And then I um, realized this, this, these texts. I was saved April 3rd, 1983, and I've never doubted my salvation on that day. But I was saying with my life that Jesus plus nothing equals everything. But I was being very honest with you, which I want to be and I will be, is that I was trying to accomplish what Jesus had already done in my life. Garrett Kell, an author, said it this way. My desire to be something rivals my desire for Jesus to be everything. I'll say it again. My desire to be something rivals my desire for Jesus to be everything. Garrett Kell is an author who wrote an article. And the title of the article was Stop Photobombing Jesus. <laughs> it was incredible. I had had lunch with Aaron Kiefer. I was leaving our place of, of uh, favorite place to eat. It was called Pepper's. I think it was breakfast. I sat in my truck and this article came up. And this was April of this year. And the article basically sta stated, stop photobombing Jesus. Get out of the way. You can look that article up. And one of my, one of my <clears throat> battles is just to recognize that Jesus simply is everything. And since, he's, since he is everything, then it's freeing to know that. It's freeing to live by that. So let's go through these verses as I had a long introduction to them. Verse 12, let's, what he says here. He says, I am looking at the, these folks right now and I'm giving thanks to the Father, number one, here it is, here it is, don't miss it, who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints in light. So he's praying for these disciples to recognize that this is something that has happened. It is past tense. And I want you, he's praying for them, I want you to give thanks that Jesus has already done that. You've already been qualified. Don't get over the past tense. Qualified means to make fit, to, be, to make sufficient, to empower. Jesus has done all of that. He's done all of that. He goes on to say this in verse 13. He says this. He says, he has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Again, it's past tense. Delivered. The, uh, another word for delivered is rescued. He has rescued you. He's taken care of you. He has, he has taken you out of the domain of darkness 
which is Satan's classroom. And he has rescued you out of that place. Because he's the one that sat on a cross, stood on a cross, hung on a cross, and declared boldly that it is finished and it's not in the tomb anymore. And so he says he's qualified you to share in the inheritance of the saints. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness. Here's another one. And transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son. I've used this before here before. I've said this before. I, we've moved so many times growing up. We moved all over the East Coast. We were in Virginia, outside of D.C. Then we went to Pennsylvania for a year. Then we went to New York, New York for four and a half years. Then we went to Connecticut for six years. Then we moved to Charlotte for, for and then I went to college by that time. By that time I was 18 and went to college. We moved all the way up and down the East Coast. And every single time we moved up the East Coast, it was a corporate move, so we got transferred. The cool thing about being transferred is you don't do anything about it. I was like, what do we need to do? They said, well, the movers are coming, and they're scouting out the house and packing the house. And they would come, and for a day and a half, would pack our house up. We've always lived in the suburbs. Pack it all up, put it in boxes, label it. Then the next day, they would come, show up at 7 o'clock in the morning, 18-wheeler, out in front of the house, the Mayflower. That's what I remember. Sitting out in front of the house. And I'm just sitting there. Sitting there with my friends because we're leaving friends and going to another city and, you know, it's all whatever it is and mom's crying and all this kind of stuff. And, and you just, what, what happens, I just, I, I don't do anything. And what happened is I had this home here and now I had this home over here. And I didn't do anything for it. I just watched them do it. And that is what Jesus is telling the disciples not to forget. Because he recognizes, in the context of the text, he recognizes that the churches in Colossae are sitting in there and they're hearing this outside that Jesus plus this and Jesus plus this and Jesus plus this equals everything. And he, Paul, a disciple who prays for disciples, is saying, I want to set the record straight. You have been qualified, made to fit. You are sufficient and you are empowered, not because of you, but because of what I've done. You are delivered, you are rescued, not because of what you have done, but because of what have I, I have done. You are transferred, you are removed, you have a new residence because of me. And then he comes down here, here's the last part, in whom we have, this is what we have, we have redemption, the forgiveness of sins. Don't take my place, I've done that, it's paid and it is paid in full. So I want you to recognize, Paul is saying as he prays for these disciples, I want you to recognize you are qualified, you are delivered, you are transferred, and you have the forgiveness. It is finished. I did it. You didn't have to. Then he says, we go back to the, now walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. Because of, because of our qualification, our deliverance, our transference, and because we have that redemption that's in him. An author in the book that God used to sort of help shape these verses and convict me of this sin of being a glory thief. He said this, um, I saw that I had a security issue. I recognized how vulnerable and defenseless I felt, so open to attack and how deeply I ached for more protection. But God was assuring me that my identity worth and value had nothing to do with my strength or ability to win 
It had nothing to do with me at all. It had everything to do with the finished work of Jesus for me. He went on to close his writing and said, because Jesus was someone, you're free to be no one. So here's a disciple who's praying for disciples. And let me just go through and say, summarize what our lesson is for this morning. Uh, disciples who pray for disciples, here is our summary for what we have. Number one, you would be hungry to know God. Simply, this is what Paul is praying as a disciple for disciples. So I'm praying for you, churches at Colossae. Here's what I want you to do is I want you to be hungry to know God. Number two, I want you to walk in a way that pleases God. I want you to walk in a way that pleases God, not for, but because of your walk with him, because of what he's done in you. And I would like for your walk to look like this, bearing fruit. I would like for your walk to be summarized by growing in your knowledge of God. I would like for your walk to be empowered by the Spirit in all things, in all situations. And the last one there is thankful for all that he has done, qualified, delivered, transferred, and we have redemption through him. So we have disciples play, praying for a disciple, for disciples. And I thought this week, how do we conclude this time of, of, of studying this prayer together? How do we go through and how do we summarize this? How do we apply this, basically? We've summarized it, but how do we apply this text? And I was sitting, uh, working on my message last Monday, and I was sitting there and I was talking and I was going through it. And I was like, okay, so here's a disciple, Paul who is now, he's now a full-fledged disciple. He's in house arrest. He's writing to a group of people. He has no idea who they are. He has never seen them before. He has only heard about them. And what does he do? He prays for them, and this is what he prays for. And the Lord laid on my heart, Trinity Park Church, Corey Jackson and Olivia are the, Corey Jackson is the pastor of the church, his wife and four kids. Corey is a friend of mine. David and I know him really well. We actually had, um, we actually had lunch with him on, on Thursday, uh, David and I did. And the Lord just placed a burden on my heart that we would pray this prayer over Trinity Park to conclude our time together. That we as disciples, you might not have heard about who they are, they love Jesus. Corey preaches Jesus. His four kids, our kids have been in the same schools for a lot, uh, many, of year, many of the years. Our kids almost line up equally together. We run into each other around town several different times. They love the Lord. They're faithfully preaching the gospel. They meet at Davis Drive Elementary School every, uh, Davis Drive Middle School every Sunday morning. And so I, I just thought that it would be really cool there if we just sat there and said, hey, um, let's, let's pray this prayer over them. And so that's what we're going to do to conclude our time together right now. This is Corey Jackson, Trinity Park Church. And I just ask you as disciples who are praying for disciples that we would pray this prayer. You pray silently and I pray up here and lead us that we would pray this over them. That their church would be overcome by the gospel. That their witness would be strong and bold. They would stand up for truth and they would herald King Jesus to all of their 
congregation and in the city. So let's go ahead and let's pray for them together as we conclude our time. Dear God, I want to thank you first for Jesus. We know you because of all that he did on the cross. So thank you. We come to you today, Lord, and want to lift up the family of disciples that make up Trinity Park Church. We thank you for what you have done in and through this church. They are brothers and sisters, and God, we love them. Lord, we've heard all of that you are doing in them and are grateful for their faith, their love for all nations, and how all nations are represented at their church. That is a work of you, and we recognize that. I pray this morning for their knowledge of you and ask you to create in them a continued hunger for you. May they be filled with a knowledge of you like the Colossian believers were. Be it in small groups, men's groups, women's Bible studies, groups that are planned, groups that are not planned, Sunday morning messages. May you place a desire in them to know more about you from the various avenues you have provided them. May they not just know about you, but may they walk in a manner that is worthy of you. May the truths that they are learning about you move them to action and that they would walk as a response to their knowledge of you. I pray that their lives would be marked by Galatians 5, the fruit of the Spirit. May they bear fruit and demonstrate to this city that they not only believe in you, but they are living for you, and that is seen in their jobs, their homes, and their church. I pray for your spirit to empower them in their walk. May the power of your spirit be so real to them. May you strengthen them in their witness to you, in their parenting, and in their marriages. May you heal them through your power. As they walk through the valley of the shadow of death, may they fear no evil because of your spirit being in them and guiding them. May they be strengthened to handle the difficult situations that may arise. May you empower Pastor Corey to lead with passion, urgency, and boldness and humility. May you protect their staff and their families. And finally, Lord, may all those who call on you that are at Trinity Park Church, be thankful that their qualification, their transfer and deliverance and redemption has been taken care of. Use Trinity Park in this area and beyond to impact hundreds if not thousands of people. Speak through Pastor Corey and the elders at Trinity Park. Lead them, guide them, use them to make much of you. You are enough. May we as Northwest Community Church and Trinity Park be disciples who are making disciples and praying for each other to that end. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Because of this, because of being qualified, because of being delivered, and because of being transferred, and because of the redemption that we have, I would ask us, let's stand, and let's sing, because of those truths. Love you guys. Let's sing.